Christmas brings with it a season of, of gift-giving. Uh, so with the gifts come the gadgets. And with the gadgets comes automation. And uh, I suppose we could even make a case to some degree that um, Christmas can become something of an automated holiday. Um, you just don't even need, if you've, if you've seen enough of it, if you've done enough of it, you can pretty much just kind of coast uh, through the Christmas celebration. You just push the red and green button uh, on the dashboard, and it's pretty much it's just done. It's on it's on cruise control. I mean, it's 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 automated. You know, we I I don't need to give my attention so much to to this because that's automated. Now I can just kind of focus in on on these other things. And so what that does is it makes for a, a can make for a a uh, a celebration of sorts but with very little intentional reflection. You're just coasting. You're just doing without a whole lot of thinking, without a whole lot of feeling. Um, it, it expresses itself in all kinds of ways in our, in our traditions. I think in particular, music. Uh, we, we just, we, well, of course we sing, right? I mean, this is the time of year you bring out the carols, the, the ones that you don't sing the other 12 months of the year. You bring them out, and the worship team is obligated to sing those. And then you're putting in the CDs, and that's what you're listening to over the course of, of the month. And, and it's what we do, right? It's just, we don't have to stop and think. Why are we singing these carols? Why are we going to concerts, maybe even. What, what's the point of, of, of all of that? What's driving all of that? We, we, and we end up just, just kind of doing, just kind of coasting along, sort of, you know, warm, fuzzy feelings uh, without a whole lot of, of heartfelt meaning to it, annual habits without any, you know, real worship in it. Is that right? No. No, hardly. I think it demands that we spend just a few minutes here this morning uh, in the midst of this Advent celebration reflecting on these questions, uh, these traditions, and what are we doing and why are we doing it. And in particular, I want to drill down this morning on, on music, songs, carols. Why? Why? Is it more than just sentiment? Is it more than just tradition? Is it more than just nostalgia? Could there be more to it than all of that? If you have your Bible, I ask you to turn with me to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 14. Uh, this is the, the third of the Gospels that we have. Matthew, Mark, Luke. We are in Luke's Gospel. Luke and Matthew give us the historical narrative uh, records of what's transpiring in the Incarnation. Jesus is coming into the world. God taking on flesh, coming as one of us for us, Luke 2, verses 8 through 14. This is actually the passage of Luke 2 that precedes what we read uh, last week. Um, so we're looking at Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8. In the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. 
And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Let's pray. Lord, we, uh, we don't want, there's just something instinctively uh, about us, we don't want to be accused of being mindless and thoughtless, um, having no intentional idea about what we're doing. Um, that's almost offensive to some of us. And, and, and yet, to even consider that there could be anything about a holiday celebration where we could be accused of that is a bit startling. Um, we thank you for this historical record. We thank you for the Gospels. We thank you for uh, working in Luke, uh, the good doctor, in such a way that um, all that you wanted to be recorded no more and no less, was. And in your love for us, you've preserved this through the ages, and also in your love for us, you've put us in these seats and put us in this room here uh, to reflect on these things for a few minutes. So we ask that you would speak to our hearts. Speak to our hearts, we pray. Amen. Well, in the news over the last few weeks, we are learning a bit more about the planned appointments of our president-elect for certain positions of high stature and, and standing. And that then is kind of a clue, in case you didn't know, uh, next month is going to be an inauguration, which then that's a, that you know testifies and is a signal to a shift in things, a, a change in administrations, uh, a shift in, in leadership, a shift in formal recognition for who's referred to as the leader of the free world, and as, along with that formal recognition of the President of the United States comes that song, Hail to the Chief. It's the official anthem of the President of the United States. It's oftentimes, it's just custom, has been for decades, to, to play that when he walks into a room, especially in a, in a public sort of appearance and, and, and setting. And we just recognize that that sort of fanfare, that sort of accompaniment, uh, to the to his entrance is just right and appropriate to the office. It, it makes sense that such an individual, when they come onto the scene holding that office, would receive attention and fanfare to right and appropriate, which then brings me to the music and song of Christmas. Uh, here we're talking about the chief executive. Uh, the commander of all the chiefs, the leader of the free universe, the king of kings and lord of lords. It is simply right and appropriate that there would be music and song at his appearing, and in particular in our case, in the celebration of his appearing. Or if I could put it this way, Christmas is a celebration of the coming of Jesus. Uh, we should then sing and make music. That's simply all I want to say over the next few minutes. Christmas is, in fact, a celebration of the coming of Jesus. It is right, it is appropriate, we should then sing and make music at his coming. That's logical. Perhaps we might even be able to make a case there's even something instinctive about that. But can we say more? Uh, is it perhaps 
Is there perhaps more in the scriptures that could tell us more about that? I think there is. I'm going to break this down and come at it from three angles. It's in your outline there. First, talk about the power of music. Secondly, the, the pattern that is set before us in this passage. And then thirdly, the praise of the Lord himself. So if you need some alliteration, I have some for you. Uh, we have uh, power and pattern and praise. Let's look at these in turn. First, the power of music in and of itself. Why is it that it has the effect on us that it does? And how does it do to us what it does? First, some observations, um, just in regard to music in general. It's a universal gift. It's a cross-cultural thing. Most any uh, society has its own unique expressions of musical traditions. Uh, they're, they're used, they come out in different contexts, in different ways, just in aspects of, of, of life. Um, we also recognize that uh, part of it being a universal gift is that it has, and we could, I know no few of us could speak to just um, in our own stories, in our own lives, the power of music and in, in its healing and comforting powers, if, if, if you will. Uh, you just think back in terms of ancient history, uh, David and his ministry to Saul, at least early on in their Relationship, scientific studies, research has been done on the therapeutic use of of music. Those of you who are carrying children right now, you probably would be interested to know that some say Mozart being played is supposed to do something to the IQ of the child that's growing within you right now. I don't know how that works, but anyway, um, it's a universal gift. As such, that also has a, there's a deep resonance when it comes. To music, um, it can take you to another world or point you towards one. Uh, music has the ability to help us see the beauty of life, the wonder of this world, the richness of life in this world, um, to stir within us perhaps even a longing for our true home to stir and provoke within us a holy discontentment, a sweet dissatisfaction with life. It has that kind of power music does. Now, why would that be? It has to do with the God who is there. Francis Schaeffer's term, the God who is there. If you'll turn with me, keep your thumb there in, in Luke 2, uh, to Psalm 98, to Psalm 98, um, that's only one psalm that we have time to, to read this morning. We could go into the book of Revelation, my goodness, and see this as well. And I'm not even going to read all of Psalm 98, just a few portions here. Psalm 98, verse 1, O sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. Skipping down to verse 4, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all of the earth. Break forth in a joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody, with Trumpets and the sound of the horn make a joyful noise before the king, the Lord. Verse 8, let the rivers clap their hands and let the hills sing for joy together. Uh, what this has to do with is the very fabric of the universe. Um, Lewis Roth, in his book, Let Us Sing, speaks to this very thing. It's a top quote in your quotes and notes insert there. I'm going to read this to you, this this jewel of a quote from, from Roth as he says, as the greatest music lover in the universe, God has surrounded himself with song. In eternity past, quote, the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy, Job 38.7. In eternity future, 
a great multitude will sing around the throne. Hallelujah! So our Lord God Almighty reigns, Revelation 19.6. At the center of human history, the Son of God himself sang with the disciples in the upper room. Mark chapter 14, verse 26. This has to do, why does music have the power and effect and influence upon us deeply? Why does it resonate in the way that it does? Because of the God who is there and attached to that, the fact we have been made in the image of that God according to his likeness. We have been made, if I can pull all this together now, made in the image of the greatest music lover in the universe. Therein there's something just about us that's just deeply human to enjoy music and to express it. This is not just about certain people groups. This is not just about certain unique personalities. There's something about music and its power in our lives that's deeply human. This is why, at a fundamental level, music resonates with us. It's why the carols can stir something within you. And again, it's not just nostalgia and sentimentality and uh, tradition. Though it can have a lot to do with that, it's more than that. It's deeper than that, which, by the way, then opens up opportunities for some really interesting conversations because this is an essentially human thing. It opens up windows of opportunity for conversation with anyone around you this Christmas season to engage in, in dialogue with, you know, tell me what is it about that song, that piece, that group, that artist that resonates with you? Why? What is it about that that you like? And have you ever thought about why music does that to us? You get creative. You just don't know where a conversation like that could go. Um, the Christmas is the celebration of the coming of Jesus. We should then be giving ourselves to celebrating with song and music. Okay, well, that takes us to the second thing. Because not only is there the reality of the power of music, just in terms of a big picture, but also the pattern set before us. Who is it that's singing? Who is it that's singing over the, the fields of Bethlehem at the arrival of Jesus? The identity of these messengers. Let's look at this. We have verse 9. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shown around them. Angels. Angels are just, in, in this sense, like us, created beings. Okay? They are intelligent, moral creatures. Um, not embodied, usually invisible, not always, usually invisible. Their appearances and activities, I guess you could say, hit the high points in the historical records over the course of the Old and New Testament as we see high points in the unfolding of God's plan of salvation. And if this is not a high point, well, I don't know what is. So the angels are certainly showing themselves here. Well, who else do we see besides this one angel? Well, my, you know, if you skip down to verse 13, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God. Now, uh, the heavenly host, that is a reference to an army. We're talking about thousands of angelic soldiers appearing there before the shepherds in the outskirts of Bethlehem proclaiming this 
news, which then takes me to, to this. What form does this, that's, that's the identity of the messengers, that's who has come. What form does their message take? Well, part of it is a birth announcement. You know, most phenomenal birth announcement there ever could be. Verse 11, who is this that's come? For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. That's who has come. Oh, and in case you miss it, this is where you can find him. Next verse. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. So that's the birth announcement. That's who has come. It's where you can find him. And then that moves to the first Christmas cantata. Well, actually, it's not a cantata because there are no instruments mentioned. So that's really, it's a cappella. And actually, technically, okay, I'm going to grant you this. We're not told that they sang. If you read closely the text. However, Luke records this for us in a poetic form. And commentators are nearly, well, I'll say nearly universal in the consensus that this seems to be something of a song. And that makes sense given the fact that angels in a variety of different contexts are spoken of as singing praises to the Lord. So what is this? The first Christmas carol. Gloria in excelsis Deo. Glory to God in the highest. That's what they are singing here. That's the form in which this comes. So, the pattern. The pattern that we have before us, these angels setting the example, the model, it's, it's, it's not just that we sing because of the traditions the, the, what we're accustomed to, just what, how we grew up or how we're told we should celebrate. It's not just about the traditions. It's, it's about the history, about what happened at the incarnation itself, this angelic host singing outside the boundaries, the borders of the little town of Bethlehem. So, so, Lest the cynicism of Scrooge or the thievery of the Grinch silence your song, think about this for a minute. The angels, while they are finite, are unfallen. And they have had a perspective on the unfolding of the years, the centuries, the ages of God's plan working itself out, as he's working it out, they have a record. They have, if a, they could write the histories, all the libraries of the world could not contain their testimony. You understand? They've seen it, they're watching, they're waiting, and now they see, they recognize what's happening there in Bethlehem. They're poised ready and exploding in song. How much more should we? How much more should we? Christmas is a celebration of the coming of Jesus. It is a time for song and making music. Because of the power of music, because of the pattern set before us, but one more thing, and this may be the most important of all. What stirs the song? What makes for the melody and the music? 
What creates, drives the course, the very praise of the Lord himself? The angels come with a message of the advent of peace. Back to that song, the Gloria. Glory to God, this is verse 4. Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace among those with whom he is pleased. What are they saying? This is peace with God that they are proclaiming. Oh my goodness. So, as the irreligious turn from their self-determining ways, as the religious turn from their self-righteous ways, as any and all of us, turn from all of that to the one true God, to Jesus and his finished work for us, we find peace. Peace with God. And stemming from that, flowing out of that, then also comes, as the angels speak of, peace on earth. And the reason for that is this. Because as the, the, the necessity, as you come to grips with the necessity of this finished work in your life, and there being nothing else, no, no other hope that you have, it has an effect upon your heart. It crushes pride. It destroys your boastful spirit. Humility takes root and begins to flourish and bear fruit. And here's the deal. Humble people tend to get along. And gospel-driven humility has a way of making you an ambassador of peace, an agent of peace, a peacemaker in this world. So, it's peace on earth and among men. And among men. So that's the advent of peace. That's part of the angel's message here. The advent of peace, but there's another part, and here's the result, the consequence. The end of fear. The advent of peace brings with it the end of fear. Back up to verses 9 and 10. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. This is an astonishing command. That the, and by the way, it's not a suggestion. It really is in the imperative form. This is a command the angel is giving. Fear not. And it's not... Why are they afraid? Why are they shaking in their sandals, cowering in the grass? It's not just because of a divine shock and awe. It's because of going back all the way to ancient history, Genesis 3, at the fall. From that moment on, what has been passed on as a terrifying heritage to every man, woman, and child is an instinctive distrust of the living God and fear of Him, like terror of Him. And the angels, you see, make this... That, that is an astounding command. We're telling you, despite everything else in human history from that moment, I'm telling you, stop. Why? Because of this beautiful promise. You don't need to fear. You don't need to fear. I have good news. Good news. Of great joy. That, my friends, is grounds to sing with the angels. In praise of the Lord. 
For unto us, if I can paraphrase verse 11, for unto us, to, to you, to you, to you, to you, to me, to us, for unto us is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, which means we have no need to be afraid of our future. Tomorrow. No need to worry or wonder about what other people think of you and let that govern and terrorize your life. Have no need to, to, to fear or, or to be worked up about how can I you know, work out all my problems by myself. No need to wonder, will he provide for me? Will he pardon me? Will he forgive me? No need. Because with Christmas has come the advent of peace, and therein the end of fear. Christmas is a time to sing, to sing and indeed celebrate in the deepest possible way, most profound way, the coming of Jesus. If I can put it this way, our instincts are right. Our instincts are right regarding it's a time to sing. The traditions are true. The angels are showing us the way. We can see here we've been hardwired, made to sing. And the gospel, the good news, impels us, frees us, allows for us to sing. It's a celebration of his coming. May we sing all the louder. Let's pray. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Such grace for our good to your glory. Lord, to the degree that we are hearing this, we will then be singing. We thank you just for the gift of music in general. And it is. It is just that. We thank you for the path well trod by the angels and the privilege that we have of joining with them in song. We thank you that you are making it very clear to us in the, the record here, that we have the greatest reason to join with them, for indeed we have received good news of great joy. And we ask that you would make this celebration, this Advent season, all the more thoughtful, all the more intentional, all the more joyful. May our music and our song be part of that. We pray in your name. Amen.